Acts chapter 13. Is a, I think that video looped on us, uh, Dave. Should be a pause button in the middle of it. There we go. Just close that easy worship program. Addison doesn't like easy worship either. I could send him back there. He can tell you how to hit the X. Get rid of it. No, 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 you don't have to. I was only kidding. I was just saying you don't like easy worship either. Are you trying to put that video out of its misery? <laughs> the video that lives. It is one of my favorite little videos. Maybe we were supposed to watch it twice. That looks good. All right. Acts chapter 13, if you brought your Bibles with you. It's a long chapter, so I'm just going to abbreviate uh, what's going on there till we get to our text. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 13, and, and one of the things you know, and I'm going to unpack this a little more later, there's two Antiochs, okay? Actually, there's a bunch of Antiochs. Antioch is a word like Springfield, okay? But Antioch, uh, the first Antioch that we're going to talk about is Antioch in Syria. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a few minutes. So Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, young man, John Mark kind of goes along as a helper. They leave the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem sends them off to the church in Antioch of uh, Syria. Um, right away in chapter 13, verse 2, uh, the Holy Spirit sends them from Antioch on a mission um, go out and be like missionaries. In verse 6, uh, they say, it says they spent a little time on an island called Paphos. And uh, in verses 6 through 12, it tells of their encounter. It's a fascinating encounter. I almost wanted to preach from this, but I didn't feel like the Lord would have us to talk about this, so I had to go buy it, but it was really juicy for me. Uh, there was a fellow there named Sergio Paulus, who was uh, a, a member of the pro-council, very uh, influential guy in the community. And he had a colleague, a friend, a guy that hung around him who was a magician named Eliamus, or actually his Hebrew name is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. It's in, what's interesting there is Jesus called him the son of a devil. His given name in Hebrew was Bar-Jesus, but Jesus, I mean, but Paul called him the son of a devil. But anyways, he has that encounter with them, and that the bad, not the bad, the uh, demonized guy ends up being blinded because Paul had all he could stands, he could stands no more. So uh, down in verse 13, uh, John Mark gets homesick. Young John Mark that was on the mission with them gets homesick. Uh, later on in Acts, you'll see Paul developed an attitude against John Mark because he was a quitter. Um, but today we only get to see the part where he said, look, I'm going back to Jerusalem. 
In verse 14, Paul and Barnabas go to a different Antioch, Antioch in Pisidia. Um, the first Antioch that they were at was in Syria, was the third largest city. It was no small town. Antioch in Syria was the third largest city in that area, third only to behind Rome and Jerusalem. I should say Rome and Alexandria. And the 13, Acts chapter 13. So uh, behind in size, uh, Rome, Alexandria in North Africa, and then uh, this uh, Antioch in Syria, and second only to Jerusalem in terms of uh, effect of um, the Christian message on the ancient world there. Um, the Antioch that we're talking about now, Antioch and Pisidia, had never been evangelized. So Paul and Barnabas show up. They've never heard the, you know, the, about Christ. Um, and Paul goes right to the uh, synagogue on Shabbat, on Saturday, sits down and lets them do what they do. And after they did what they did, they, well, part of what they usually do is the guy in charge of the synagogue meeting says, does anybody have anything that they would like to add to um, the message today? Something that maybe the Lord has put on your heart as it relates uh, today's uh, message. Verse 15, I'll, I'll read that to you, where the guy said there, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent uh, to them saying, men and brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, go ahead and uh, have it to say now. At that, Paul begins to speak. He goes all the way back to Israel, way back in the Old Testament, lets them know that he's in keeping with, uh, you know, all the history of Israel, that he's not a kook, because they don't know Paul here. And he talks about Israel, talks about Egypt, and he ends all the way up with Christ and the empty tomb. And it's in this context that we find our text uh, at the end of Paul's teaching in the synagogue there that morning. And I want to draw your attention to verses 36 through 39. For David, Acts chapter 13, verses 36 to 39. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, that is, he died, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. That's code talk for he deteriorated in the grave. By the way, total aside, if you go to Israel today, now Alyssa's been to Israel. Anybody else been to Israel? Okay, Alyssa, when you were on your tour of Israel, do you remember going to David's uh, tomb or not? You'd remember because it's down in a tomb-like thing and it's ornate times 100, all gold kinds of things and crowns, but it is actual body. It's one of the few half a dozen or so sites that is actually certifiably the real McCoy uh, the real site, and it is the site of David's tomb, and it's cool. His body is in that casket, but as the writer said here, his body was met with decay, or as said here, corruption. Okay, David, King David died. He was awesome, but he died, and his body saw corruption. 37, but he whom God raised up, he's referring to Christ, whom he had already brought into the picture earlier on in his lesson, Paul did. He whom God raised up, saw no corruption. That is, his body did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, through Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes 
is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Look again at 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through Christ, through me preaching him to you, is the forgiveness of sins. Now, that was an intriguing concept for Paul's audience, uh, his Jewish audience in that synagogue that morning. Uh, look, they didn't need to be convinced that they were guilty of sin. They knew every Jewish person, individual that sat in this, on the benches of, the, of that synagogue knew they had a sin problem. They also uh, knew the routine that they were left with by Moses for dealing with that sin problem. And they participated once a year. And by the way, it was just um, the first of the Jewish calendar just a week or two, a couple weeks ago, where they celebrate, um, you know, the sacrifice, the Day of Atonement uh, for their sins. And that's what they were used to, where the high priest would go in, make a sin offering to all of Israel, uh, for all of Israel to, listen, word carefully chosen, to cover their sins. This was the topic of Bible study in our Sunday school lesson about two or three weeks ago. Here, what the Jews understood is when, this, when, the, when the priest went in and offered that sacrifice, the blood was put on the holy of, in the Holy of Holies, was thrown on the, um, the mercy seat of God, the covering of the um, Ark of the Covenant. And listen, it covered the sins of Israel. Israel's view of their, the treatment of their sins by God, to deal, the dealing with their sins by God, was that their sins were covered. I want you to think about the little video we saw a minute ago about all those people um, and I'm going to let the cat out of the bag a little prematurely here, that the common thread that you saw with all those people is not that their issues were covered, okay? It was great that for Israel, that was a nation like every nation on earth, was a nation of people that lived in a state of sinfulness. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not a, there's not a nation out there that is virtuous uh, above all things, that doesn't need uh, to deal with its sin. But the method of dealing with sinfulness that the Jews were used to, the modus operandi of God for dealing with sinfulness in the Old Testament was cover it with the blood of an animal. This was wonderful and effective until you sinned again. So I wonder if it was that afternoon you would sin again or the next day. Did you make it a whole week before you sinned again? The fact of the matter is, eventually, regardless of how long you were able to make it, since you were last covered by the blood of that animal, you, you again uh, had a sin problem. The people that were sinning, listening to Paul that morning, were mindful that they had a sin problem. Even though this uh, Day of Atonement came every year, they still knew the effects of their sin. I suppose there was some psychological relief to think that once a year their corporate sins, the sins of a nation, were covered. But Paul wasn't preaching about some corporate or national covering of sins. His message was, and listen closely, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. This is a new concept. This is not the covering of sins. This is the forgiving of sins. 
the, uh, the Greek word that Paul would have used there was this aphesis. Now, that might not matter to you, the aphesis of sins. But when, sometimes when we study what the Greek word is, we can em em embrace a little more the full, full meaning of it. Aphesis literally means to be totally set free from the effect of something that had you bound. Again, let me refer back to the video that we saw. All those things that had bound those people, rejection, uh, I'm not going to remember all the different things, but you saw it, that when they flipped their cards, it, it, those things weren't just covered. They weren't just disguised. They weren't just, you know, well, you know, I'm dealing with it. They were totally set free from the effect of that which had previously had them down. And so Paul is preaching for the first time. He said, you know, starting with Israel and Moses and all this stuff. And, and let me tell you about Jesus and Jerusalem and the cross and the grave and resurrected from this grave. And by this man, I am teaching you that there is forgiveness, aphesis of your sins, a totally being set free of your sins. And I am here to tell you that got their attention. Because for the first time, we're not talking about just covering my sins. We're talking about setting me uh, free from my sins. In their hearts, until this day, they had trusted and tried to trust the sacrifice that was supposed to cover their sins. But listen, they still felt guilty. We'll take just a moment, a little package of time, and go back to Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, much more than some sort of legal just transaction happened, they brought the sense of guilt into their lives. And friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that the sense of guilt affects the way you live your life. For them, right away, one of the first effects that we see them, uh, you know, God comes uh, in the cool of the day, it says as was his pattern, you know, Adam, Adam, where are you? He knew where they were. He wasn't asking for his sake, but he wanted Adam to know that he was looking for him. Adam, Adam, where are you? Uh, we're over here, over where? Hiding in the bushes. Why are you hiding? Well, we heard you coming. And we were afraid. So we hid. See, when there's sin in a person's life, it affects them emotionally. Fear is one of the predominant things that, uh, th that the enemy puts on someone when there's uh, sin uh, in, in their life. These people in this synagogue that morning when Paul was teaching them understood what it was to still feel guilty. To walk around with a load uh, of sin still uh, on their back. Now he's talking about setting them free from its guilt. It gets better. Look at verse 39. And by him everyone who believes is justified. There's another new concept. First we talked about aphesis forgiveness, and now we're talking about justified from all the things which you could not be justified by uh, the law of Moses. Paul introduces this thing that's better than Ephesus in verse 39, it's justification. I'll tell you that, again, I don't expect you to remember these words, but the Greek word is dikaiu. You can say dikaiu. It's kind of a weird word. We certainly don't have a word like dikaiu, but uh, the Jew might have uh, dreamed of forgiveness. Aphesus. He might have dreamed of someday being free from the, the guilt of this. But, but Dika, you, 
this, this, this is something unheard of. Dikayu is a legal term uh, which was used to declare a person as though they had never committed the offense. So I want you to understand the difference. Aphesis means, uh, let's say Addison offends me really bad, okay? First thing we could do is we could cover it. That's the Old Testament way. Well, we cover it up. We cover it. You see, it's really not gone. It's covered. It's not gone. Aphesis, forgiveness, means that I set him free from that. I say, you know what? You offended me, but I set you free. Don't be, don't be, don't let that have traction on you anymore. We can remove that, okay? But dikayu means that in my mind, I'm the one that was offended, okay? It, it, to, when I look at you, it is just as though you never, it, it never happened. I haven't just forgiven you. I've made this thing as though it, <coughs> pardon me, it never even happened. The reality in my mind is not only is it not just simply covered, not only are you just simply forgiven, but the Akiyu, it's it is totally washed away. And the Bible talks about this uh, a couple different ways. One way it talks about it, it is uh, God puts it uh, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he re removed your transgressions from you. You know, uh, you've got to be careful when you say uh, there's nothing impossible with God because there are things impossible for God. It's impossible for God to lie. Amen? It's impossible for God to remember. Let this sink in because there's a freedom. The enemy wants to keep us clanked in chains. And there's a freedom that comes when we understand the truth of the gospel message. There, there, there is a freedom that comes when we understand that God cannot remember things that have been put through the, the blood of Christ. When you humble yourself and kneel at your altar, whether it's in a church, behind the steering wheel of a car, on the side of a bed, wherever it is, when you, when you humble yourself and, and you plead for God to deal with your sin, he doesn't just cover it up like a big blanket. He doesn't just forgive you and say, okay, that's cool, I forgive you. He, he does that and he also then forgets about it. Would that we could forget about it. Would that the enemy would forget about it. But we have to remind ourselves that God has forgotten about it. And one of the tricks that the enemy plays on us is he continues to beat us up with something that's already under the blood. You've maybe done something quite egregious in your life. And you're mindful that it's egregious. You've, you've submitted it to God. And here's what Pastor Cliff wants you to understand this morning. <clears throat> you're forgiven for it. You, you are uh, justified from it. It is removed from you. God doesn't remember it anymore, so quit reminding uh, yourself of it. So there's forgiveness. You're forgiven for driving 65 miles an hour through a school zone. That would be bad, right? Amen? 65 through a school zone. Not only terribly dangerous, but very dangerous if the blue lights come bad. You can be forgiven for driving 65 through a school zone so that you don't have to pay the fine. And then there's justification or diak uh, ayu. And that means there's no record 
that you ever went 65 through a school zone. No record. No record. That would be awesome. And that's why Paul includes verse 39, the law of Moses could never do that. The law of Moses could never make your sins vanish, go away as though they never happened. Let me submit to you, people then and people now, people that sat in the synagogue and people today are basically the same. Our creature comforts are different. Our technology is different. A lot of things are different. But the person is the same. There were Roberts, people like Robert in that group, people like Reba in that group. People like Brother Cook in that group. So we have different customs, different creature comforts, and so forth. But at the end of the day, what bugged them still bugs us. They would get offended and they would get their feelings hurt just the same way we get offended and we get our feelings hurt. They either on purpose or by accident <coughs> committed sins. We, uh, I mean, it's kind of an embarrassing thing to talk about, but let's just be honest with each other. We all still sin. None of us are above the sin. None of us never sin anymore, unless someone wants to be uh, venerated. Is that what they call it in the Catholic Church? Venerated as a saint? I think the saints don't sin anymore. And actually, the Nazarenes, uh, I don't want to, I digress. The Church of the Nazarenes, they actually, I think, believe that in total sanctification, I'm going to go there. I'm going to wander there. Not to bust their chops, but just to wander there. Uh, so they believe when they consider the doctrine of sanctification, that is the doctrine of being set aside and, and no longer, you know, and, and being set aside and holiness and righteousness and all that. Uh, we believe that, we believe, whether you know this or not, I'm going to help you articulate what we believe. We believe as it relates to sanctification that it is both instantaneous and it is progressive. So the instantaneous part is the legal part. When God looks at you, you are totally sanctified because you were uh, diakoued. You are totally separated from your sin. So yes, from God's point of view, he does not see the sin. Is the, the blood of Christ is that thorough in its washing of you that he does not see the sin. So in that sense, you are totally uh, sin-free. But in real life, uh, we still go 56 miles an hour once in a while. Yeah, let's just stop it there. Let's not take it any farther than the crazy speed limit. We all still go 56 miles an hour once in a while, and some of us even do things worse than that. So in that sense, we're getting better and better in terms of our sanctification. Our friends at the uh, <coughs> Nazarene Church, again, not to just bust their chops, but I have some great friends growing up, and they're, they're still my friends, that I would go to their church once in a while, and they were Nazarenes, and they would go, come to the Assembly's church and hang out with us once in a while, too. And uh, they believe in absolute sanctification, that eventually Robert can become totally sanctified. I, it got me curious. I said, well, I want to meet one of these guys. Oh, well, they were quick to say, there's nobody that actually does it. Nobody actually, but, but you can be. It's, it's conceivable. It's possible. No, nobody is. So it's kind of a silly in my opinion, uh, sort of silly because it exists, but then nobody really ever actually, like I said, uh, does it. So I digress, sorry. The things that offend other people way back in the synagogue still offend us today. Uh, things that hurt their feelings, someone said something mean about them. Someone could say something mean about you, it still hurts your feelings today and you get offended today just the same way. And they on purpose or by accident committed sins back then. 
commit sins both on purpose and by accident. And we commit sins on purpose or by accident. They held up under a load of guilt. And so do we. It's part of the enemy's strategy to use guilt to beat us down. To hurt us, to weaken us, to, to beat us down. They knew, the people in the synagogue, knew that their system for dealing with guilt came up short. How'd they uh, know that? Because they knew it never took it away. It just covered it up. It was still there. The guilt was still there. I propose to you that uh, people today have systems for dealing with their guilt. Have you ever thought about this? Systems for dealing with their guilt. Can you think of any? I'll help you. I'll, I'll build a little list for you. Systems of dealing with a sense of guilt. People still have guilt. Non-religious people. I'm talking about non atheists, whatever. They still have this psychological effect that, ha that hit Adam and Eve when they went and hid in the garden because there was sin in their life. And so they, they had this uh, awareness of guilt. So we have ways of dealing with uh, guilt today. So, some people drink. Or, or use uh, drugs. Because it, it makes you not feel the way you feel when you're sober-minded. That sensation of, uh, of guilt. Uh, some people, unfortunately, take it out on others and are abusive. They deal, this is, it seems like it's backwards because uh, it's a typical, it's classic fingerprints of the enemy. You know, you already feel like trash because you pe treat other people like trash, so how do you deal with it? You go out and you treat them like trash. You see, the enemy is just, he's a, he's a terrible guidance counselor. Uh, but there's people that take it out on other people, dealing with their guilt. Some people live in total denial. I don't have any problem. Yeah, 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 they do. They live in total uh, denial. Some people distract themselves with busyness. This is probably the most common one for uh, nice people, people that aren't smoking dope or you know, making meth labs in their cars or whatever. They, but, but they distract themselves with busyness. Busyness at work. Work, 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 work. You see, because when your mind is preoccupied with something else, you're not, you're not slowing down to think about the weight of, 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 uh, of guilt. Busyness at a hobby. Busyness with sports, go Bulldogs, go Oorah, Saint, oh, the, who are the Saints? They, they don't say Oorah, oh, the Marines say Oorah, no, what are they, who dat, yeah, who dat, you know, totally filled up with, you know, can't wait to get home and turn on uh, the sports. All kinds of ways that all kinds of people come up to deal with something that's uh, not written on their heart with a pencil, it's written in ink. You can't erase the effects of sin and guilt uh, with, with any kind of preoccupation, with any kind of business, with any kind of drug, with any kind of abuse towards other people, with any kind of denial, with any kind of drink or drug. You can't deal with it. Uh, none of these systems uh, we grab at can erase it. So we and our friends and our family get very used to the weight of uh, all that sad guilt on our backs. And that's why Paul declared in verses 38 and 39, listen again now, 
Uh, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Jesus Christ is preached to you the forgiveness of sin, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could never be justified by uh, the law of Moses. None of these other ideas take the problem away. Very best, they distract us from sin's presence. There's uh, two ways the Lord has directed us to uh, process this reality today. First of all, the Lord would ask us to think about this text and to th- you know its ramifications, to think about it in a very personal way. God, you know, God would ask Dave in the sound booth, personally reflect on what this means to Dave in the sound booth. Dave, uh, the Lord would ask Cliff, reflect on this. What does it mean to me that God doesn't just cover? He forgives and he absolutely takes away so that I don't have to suffer from the load of guilt anymore. And by the way, the enemy, you've got to learn this lesson. This lesson is worth preaching because uh, just because it happens uh, legally and officially between you and God doesn't mean that you're realizing it. The enemy still wants chains on you. He still wants you clanking around under the weight of your uh, sinfulness. And, but as Jesus has preached, not only uh, can you access the, the forgiveness and the justification that comes with it, but you can access release and freedom from You hear about people that you know, have given their hearts to the Lord. They say, I feel like I'm walking around on cloud nine and whatever. But eventually, the enemy is going to saddle them up with a bunch of guilt Uh, in pain again. So the first way I want us to process this reality is to stop allowing the enemy to have us live in guilt. I have the feeling, I have the hunch that even the most godly person in the room, whoever they are, still, the enemy still throws stuff on us and weighs us down. Pastor Cliff's reminding us the same way that Paul reminded that synagogue that morning. In Jesus Christ, there's forgiveness and there's total justification. There's no reason that we should have one little smudge of weight around our necks. We are, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. God looks at you and he sees no sinfulness at all. He sees you absolutely blameless. Realize that and walk in that freedom, walk in that understanding. So the first uh, way to process this message this morning is personally. And so I've asked us to do that. The second way for us to process this is we have to sympathetically realize the plight of our friends and colleagues and associates in, in, in the community, our unsaved family. Now, I understand that we can only say and do so much. Uh, that we can't, uh, should not, cannot uh, try to argue someone into salvation. But we've got to understand that we hold the key to relieving them for what ails them. Uh, it, it's, it's out of love that we share the gospel message to people that are struggling under the weight of sin. There's so much that we can do. There's so much that we can say lovingly with hope and optimism we share that in Jesus there's absolute forgiveness. To the guy that's nursing alcohol, the alcoholic bottle, all day long, there's, there's hope in Jesus. 
we see that you know, there's probably none more obvious than that poor soul. You know, we might feel a little ugly towards him and like, what's that guy's problem? Why doesn't he lose the bottle? And what's his deal? But instead, may our hearts break for that individual. And may our hearts say, he is suffering under the load of guilt. The enemy has given him that bottle as a cheap imitation for what Christ could do thoroughly in his life. And it's our responsibility to thoroughly share the message with him so that he understands that he can be free from that. We can't make it. We can't argue him. But we can teach him. We can share. We can, we can hope and love and pray uh, with him. Even uh, to the point that he can uh, enjoy life as though sin never happened in his life. We do well to experience this personally, and we do well to share this with our circle of influence. Uh, Reba meets people in the course of her week that I don't meet, vice versa. Each of us meet uh, and hang out with a different uh, circle of acquaintances. We do well not to keep the light of forgiveness and total justification under some sort of bushel from those people that we meet. We don't have to be Billy Graham to them. We don't have to read the Romans road to them and John 3.16, but we can just share with them, you know, even if it's our own personal testimony. You know, I used to just be so heavy with, with the load of guilt. But thanks be to God, he rescued me from that, and I don't live under guilt anymore. I, I still make mistakes, but God's totally cool with me and loves me and forgives me even in advance of those mistakes that I make. We do well not to keep the light of that kind of hope under a bushel. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for... Um, the, these dimensions of salvation that aren't just a covering. Absolute forgiveness. And then absolute, from your perspective, forgetting about it. Help us, oh God, to walk in, in freedom from the guilt that the enemy would put on us. And I pray that we would be sensitive to the community around us and find ways to communicate to people that are struggling under the weight of that guilt. And share the hope that's only in Jesus Christ. Never in a bottle, never in a bottle of pills, never in preoccupation with some kind of busyness. Only in the blessed name of Jesus are these things truly dealt with. Help us to be faithful about sharing that with our community of of acquaintances. And we'll give you the honor and glory and thank you in advance for helping us toward that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.